This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation. Thank you for joining me again. And if you've been listening since early this morning, then you know we had some significant technical issues related to our server being down here at the Zoomerplex. But our incredible team of engineers has rectified the problem. So we are back to delivering the comprehensive news packages you expect from Zoomer Radio News. Now, to be fair to Doug Ford, we have just had the long Easter weekend, but we have not heard uh, him comment publicly on any developments in the news since last Thursday. And some of the developments are not all that positive, including an upward trend in COVID-related hospitalizations and more than 200 patients with COVID in hospital ICUs, the highest number in over a month. So what is the best strategy in addressing bad news. Our Tuesday strategy panelists join us now to weigh in on this question, as well as other developments on the political scene. John Capobianco is a conservative strategist, senior vice president and senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. Karen Stintz is CEO at Variety Village. And Charles Souza is a former liberal Ontario finance minister. Hello, panelists. Hi, Jane. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, Jane. Well, what about this? Is it better to be upfront with people, reassure residents of the province, or is it more strategic in a positive way to be out of sight and out of mind when there are problems? Karen, I'll start with you. Yeah, I, well, you know, in, in terms of the news, there's, you know, it was it was pretty well communicated, I think, by the top doctor uh, when the restrictions were lifted that there would be an increase in, in COVID-related cases but that the hospital system would be able to manage. And, it, you know, so it, in, in, you know, I think in this case, there's really nothing more to say. He can confirm what he's already said. He can, can you know, again, acknowledge that, yes, COVID-related cases are going up, um, remind people to get their booster shots and take precautions. But really, there's no more news here. Okay. You know, it, 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 if it gets to the point that the hospitals can't cope, well, then, then there's something that needs to be done, of course. But at this stage, I, I think that it's just really trending the way People expected it to trend. John, over to you. You know, a lot of people have said uh, in terms of the premier's disposition, he can be very reassuring for people. And he has been at certain points during the pandemic. And I think that's one of his strengths when he when he goes off script and he's just honest and sincere with people. Uh, Do you think that that's something that's missing right now because of too much attention to how he should be perceived leading up to the election? Well, I think, Jane, it's one of those things that a politician never really wins on this issue. It's either you're, you're too much exposed and people are complaining that you're on TV for, for, you know, for almost every announcement, be it, you know, important or not important and get criticized for that. And if you're not on and you let your ministers do all the announcements, then everybody says, well, you're not on the TV enough and where are you hiding kind of thing. But I think Karen's right on this. I think, you know, he has always been. Um, in fact, has had daily conferences at uh, uh, times when it was a crisis, when, when Ontarians needed to hear 
from the premier and from the leader when it was good news or bad news or what have you. Uh, you know, they had the top doctor, Kieran Moore, sort of say just last week, you know, and give a bit of an update and a, pro- a prognostication of what's going to be happening and what's what's just sort of taking place. They've had Peter Juni from the Ontario, Ontario Table on on a regular basis. So you've had a lot of the health people out there talking about it. And I don't know if the premier needed to say anything from that perspective. So, you know, it's always strategic as to when you want to put a leader, be it a prime minister or a premier or even a mayor out uh, at some point. So I, I think it's fine. I, I think that, you know, you're going to see a lot of them in the election campaign for sure. Charles, what about you? How has the premier been performing? Because, you know, in effect, it is a performance and there is a lot of strategy involved in his announcements and what he says to reporters following those announcements. Yeah, absolutely. And COVID is not the narrative he wants to play right now. I mean, at the start of the pandemic, there were mess ups and he messed up a lot be it with the schools, the masks, the vacations and then other things. And he was sort of late. And then he turned himself around. He begged forgiveness. People gave him a second chance. He started you know, going up in the polls again as a result of his fight with COVID and being there with the scientists and so forth. At this point, though, he wants to show that things are okay and things are steady and the, the negative news that's out there isn't going to help him. And if he's going to be out there defending it, to John's point, he'll be, um, he'll, it won't, he won't be a win. It won't win for him. And he, he may come across as assuring because he has that folksy appeal about him. But at this point in time, he has to now defend his record. And the questions before him are much more than just COVID. It's a whole slew of things that have happened over the past four years or have not happened. A lot of announcements at the tail end now. As a result, many of them are liberal-like announcements, frankly. And so these are the kind of things you'll have to respond to. So I can, I can appreciate why he doesn't want to come out at this point because of the COVID issue, because it's a, not, it's a no-win for him. And to John's point, one of the problems that Kathleen Wynne had in her previous uh, term was that she was out there way too much. Okay. And people got tired. We are sick away from the June 2nd election. It is creeping up, but we've got the budget coming down soon. And then the official campaign will begin. So, you know, I'd like to put this question out to you as well, the Zoomer radio listener. Are you prepared? Have you given it a thought? Do you know what your Andrews are in their writings? But have you decided on who gets your from June 2nd? 416-360-0740. And why? Why is that individual getting and that party getting your vote? one 740 Let's go around the table. I do want to talk about Stephen Del Duca's announcement this morning. But first, in terms of what you think the ballot issues are going to be, is it too far out, Karen, to be talking about that? Well, I think that there's a lot of issues that are percolating for people. Um, but I don't, I don't think that there's one issue yet that's definitive. I think we're still... That, that that's still going to emerge as the election issue, as the one issue that sort of captures the public mood. And, uh, you know, certainly there's a lot of concern about inflation, but I, I don't think the government, I don't think generally speaking, people think the government can do much about it. Um, there's, all you know, concern about all the disruption in the world. There's concern about, you know, what is what is this trajectory for this virus and, and are we actually out of the woods yet? So there's there's lots of things that people are, are worrying about, but I, I don't see defining election having emerged as of yet. Okay, what about you, John? What are your thoughts? I think all the parties will want to have or want to start framing what they think they, what they want the ballot question to be. And of course, in a, in a campaign on, on, on the fluidity of, of it can change on a, 
on a dime, you know, especially during a, during a campaign. If the if COVID numbers go up, obviously that's going to be an issue. But I would say that each party has their own sort of, you know, frame of, of what they can see and, and, you know, experience the, the steady hand at the tiller. Uh, somebody who's gone through the crisis, and if there ever, ever is going to be a crisis again, you want somebody who's gone through it and has been able to to deal with it, and also the recovery. You know, just basically saying, look, at some point we're going to have to recover from this. Who do you want by way of responsible fiscal management? The Liberals over the 15 years who almost bankrupted the province, or do you want somebody who's who's going to have a tight, you know, fiscal outlook? And I suspect the budget is going to probably show that, and might lead into the into the election campaign in and of itself as probably a, a valid question. And the NDP are just going to, you know, complain about everything and just say that, you know, this Ford's not good and, and Del Duca's not good and no one's really good, but Andrew might be able to fix the problems that, that we're facing. So it'll be interesting to see, but there is that fluidity, I think, that campaigns have, but, but a lot of, a lot of the camp, a lot of the parties will start framing those, those ballot questions now leading into the election. Charles, do you take issue with that, that the, the Liberals bankrupted the province <laughs> since I you were, you, <laughs> you know, um, the last, uh, finance minister to balance the budget it was in 2018, and I had the privilege of doing so. And I have differences <laughs> with my own party because I wanted to maintain balance thereafter. They said, out of the structural deficit that they're in. And the rating agencies have made it clear that the Conservatives have not been fiscal stewards. They've been the exact opposite. However, do people care about that? This is going to be a question about trust. I think the framing of the ballot question, you know, I mean, the Liberals are going to go after the 413 and the guns. And the Conservatives are going to talk about investments and reducing the cost of living for everybody. And that's the kind of thing that will give them the edge. But they haven't costed their program. The budget's coming out, and it's not going to be debated. It's not going to be reviewed effectively, as they did when they came out in the last election. They had no costed policies. They didn't have to, because they were going at, they weren't being, they weren't being voted in what they've done or what they haven't done. And there's a lot that there is there to, to be had. But again... He's not going to talk about those things. He's going to talk about trust, guy, and everybody else is not. Right. That's what it's going to be about. Well, certainly afford is a huge issue, whether we're talking about at the gas pumps, at the grocery store, uh, being able to uh, have your children, your adult children, being able to buy a home. I'm certainly the federal liberals tried to address that a little bit in their budget. Uh, and long-term care and health care is top of mind, I still think, for a lot of people who lost loved ones in nursing homes during the COVID crisis. 416-360-0740 or one 740 Let's go to Doug in Scarborough. Doug, uh, what are your thoughts on the coming election? Uh, I won't be voting for Doug Ford. And did you vote for Doug last time? Uh, no, I did not. No. So uh, do you mind telling us uh, which is your vote? Uh, the Liberals will get my vote. And why? Why Stephen Del Duca? Because Doug Ford does nothing for people on Ontario disabilities. He's never helped us at all. Neither did Mike Harris. He gives himself a 43.0 increase raise for himself. He tells us people to go and get a job. He's not for poor people. He's only for the rich people. And he doesn't help people on disabilities or welfare. Okay, thank you for calling in. That's a very clear, concise answer, Karen. I mean, those people who don't like Doug Ford, I mean, they really don't like him. No, I think that's true. And um, and I think that the, the, for the people who voted NDP because they don't like Doug Ford, you know, maybe they're going to vote NDP again or vote Liberal. I don't think that Doug has endeared himself uh, to those who are predisposed to dislike him to, to change the way they're going to vote. 
Stephen Del Duca made what he billed as a major policy announcement this morning. And Charles, you just alluded to uh, the gun issue. Uh, Stephen Del Duca is promising he will ban handguns across the province in his first year if he becomes premier. He also went on to say, unlike the Ford Conservatives, Ontario Liberals will ban the sale, possession, transport and storage of handguns. John, is this does this announcement most voters? I mean, certainly, you know, I can't really think of the last time somebody talked about the importance of getting rid rid of handguns, that that was one of the leading issues in the province. Well, I, I think the provincial liberals are taking a playbook or a page from the playbook of the federal liberals. Obviously, the, the gun issue was was one of the major issues that did sort of the, that undid Aaron O'Toole at the federal campaign. If you recall, he was he was probably winning the first half of the campaign, and then when guns became an issue, uh, he started uh, he started to uh, to do badly. And so uh, so obviously, there's a couple of you know political touchy third rail issues if you will that the liberals will always throw at one being you know private health care or abortion and the other one being guns so obviously they're trying to use this as a bit of a wedge issue um and, you know the issue is not so much you know the the guns it's it's trying to get the guns the gangs and guns and mm-hmm. then putting money to law enforcement and putting money to to border crossings and border police where the guns are being exported here from the U.S. in a legal manner. You know, there's a lot of people who have guns here in Canada, but most of the, the killings that are happening are from, are either gang related or from illegal guns that are being, that are being transported from the U.S. That's where the money and the focus should be. Just right. banning guns. Uh, is, is is certainly an issue and something that we that all governments are looking at. But just let's look at the crux of where the problem is from, and that is giving more police security and opportunities for them to stop the illegal crossing of guns from the U.S. Well, you know, when he came out uh, or released uh, the news release last night saying he was going to make Del Duca a major policy announcement, I thought it would have something to do with uh, long-term care or health care. I mean, I think uh, coming out of this COVID crisis, record high inflation, it seems to me, Charles, that's where the attention should be. And in fact, yesterday with our Zoomer squad, they were also saying that it seems like Stephen Del Duca and Andrea Horvath are very critical when it comes to long-term care and health care, but they're not really setting themselves apart with their own visions. Well, they will have, obviously, major planks in their uh in their campaign around health care and education. That's always been the case, and even the budgets that I've had the privilege of doing have included substantive investments in those areas. And, obviously, Doug Ford sees the need to do so, and he's putting it in his as well. We'll see how it comes out, if at all, when it's when the budget does come out. But it is a wedge issue. This issue with guns, it kind of reminds me of Mike Douglas when he was playing the American president in that movie, mm-hmm. and he issued the crime bill, right? And he's, I think he said there's a serious problem, and we need serious people to deal with it. I'm going to get the guns. And that was his quote. And this is kind of how I feel this is about. It's like ensuring that we have someone who you can trust, who can make, uh, do all the things that John just mentioned in terms of going after the illegal activity of guns, but let's get rid of guns entirely so it's not to have to have. So there is no issue. And, um, yeah, it, to me, though, the real issue is still health care and education, right. the economy and the environment, making certain that the things that the Ontario government is doing will help prosper you know, not only Ontario, but the rest of Canada, because so much of a reliance on Ontario exists for the rest of the Federation. Well, it does. I mean, if it is a wedge issue, it feels to me like it's being fabricated as a wedge issue. Is that fair, Karen? I, I think you're right, because it's one of those things. If you ask anybody, do you think we should have more guns? The answer is going to be no. Right. I mean, 100 percent people are going to say no. But when I was at City Council, one of the things that made me just 
really froth with this notion that we ban guns and suddenly the gun violence goes away. Because to John's point, that's not going to happen. We can ban all the guns we want everywhere we want across the country, the municipality, the province. The gun problem is not because of the people who own licenses and are following all the rules. The gun problem is because people have illegal guns and they use them um, in, in violent ways. And so what's, what's just so frustrating to me personally is that, yeah, it sounds great. Ban guns. Let's do it. Who doesn't want to do that? What Doug Ford can't stand up and say, no, I don't want to ban guns because he'd look like a fool. But, but, but it doesn't do anything to tackle the gun violence. And that's what's frustrating for me. Let's go back to the phones. And we're with our strategy panel here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Jane for Libby, along with Karen Stintz, John Capobianco, and Charles Souza. Tibor in Whitby, you'd like to weigh in on the gun issue. Yes, hello. Go ahead. All right. So everybody's about how guns kill people, this and that, and ban them, ban the sales of bullets. Let me ask this question. How many of those gangs? Sorry, I think we lost you there. With guns to use it as a, as a big stick. How many of them have bought from a store and as a registered gun owner? Zero. All these people, gangbangers, drug dealers, they will still keep getting their guns whether it's banned or not because they don't give a crap about being caught. Or if they are, they uh, the high-priced lawyers, whatever, to get them out. So the only way to, to do it is completely ban possession, sale, anything, anything to do with handguns. Okay. And in my opinion, handguns are just used for shooting each other. Okay. People. Thank you for your comments. Really appreciate it. Uh, John, just a final comment on the handgun issue before we move on to federal politics. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I, I think that, you know, you've you got to get to the crux of the problem. And it's, and it's not, you know, legal gun owners uh, who are the, who are the problem? The problem is the smuggling of it. It's the the problem is is trying to give the resourcing to police to, to get to the gangs uh, and stop them, and yet the intelligence to, to know where the gangs are, and more importantly, at the border when they're coming across illegally and giving them the resources to be able to do it. That's where the crux of the problem is. And you get you stop that, you stop the gangs, you stop a lot of the, the illegal guns and and the killings. I actually agree with it uh, as well, but there is one other factor. I believe almost fifty percent of fatalities are accidents by illegal hand, hand, handgun owners. So that also happens with kids. Mm, interesting stat. All right, the federal Conservative Party race. Jean Charest has come out strongly against having Pierre Poliev uh, even as a candidate, saying that Poliev stood with the truckers who occupied Ottawa and so cannot be in charge of making Ben's mayor, Patrick Brown, also running for the Conservative leadership. Uh, making a lot of uh, promises to people in various immigrant communities, including the Tamils. Where we're at so far, we still have a long way to go. Decision day is September 10th. Uh, Karen, would you like to begin that conversation? <laughs> well, I, I think it is very, um, it's it's unclear if the, who's in the lead. I mean, I, I think everybody assumes that it is Pierre Polyevra because he is drawing the crowds. He seems to have control of the airwaves. Uh, he's, he is a very effective communicator. I think what he says doesn't really make much sense uh, with respect to cryptocurrency, for an example. It, 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 he's, he's very effective in delivering a message, which makes him a very dangerous opponent. And um, because there's no, at this point in the campaign, there's no way to prove whether he's actually in the lead, I think that there is this public perception taking hold that he is, and that could be just as detrimental to the other candidates as actually being in the lead. John, your thoughts on the race so far? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one. We're obviously we're obviously going to see, I think, at the end of today or tomorrow, you know, how many of the candidates uh, are able to fulfill all of the criteria to be official candidates. Not not not, not least of which, of course, the money and and the uh, the deposits, but also the signal. There's about what ten, I think, that are are out there now. But I think it's going to be whittled whittled down to to quite a, maybe a few. Uh, obviously, the top three being Pierre and and Jean Charest and and. Uh, and Patrick Brown, I think that, you know, the membership sales, which is the current phase that the, that the party is in now is critical. And if those, if those rallies that Pierre Polgav is getting, uh, amount to memberships and sales, then that's going to be critical. And he could very well win this on the first ballot. But, you know, it's hard to, hard to tell. And it's not easy always to get people in rallies to sign up for members and actually to vote, you know, because it's a mail-in vote. So, you know, all that has to sort of take place. But, but for now, it's really becoming a two-person race, which is mm-hmm. Jean Charest and, and Pierre Paulette. Right. Do you see it that way as well, Charles? Yeah, it seems to be turning out that way. Both Karen and John make good points. I, um, I, I, I like what Jean Charest had to say during his interview by trying to articulate how Pierre should be disqualified and unfit to actually be a prime minister, let alone be a candidate. I mean, he's talking about the, the, the freedom convoy and, and some of the illegal activities that were happening there to support for the movement um, to suggest that he supports illegal activity and uprising in the country. Um, but it's an interesting uh, issue that's coming to play. Uh, John's point about will Patrick Brown have enough to become an official candidate? I suspect he will, and I suspect he'll be sort of the underdog here, because he, uh, he's also appealing to Quebec in a big way, um, especially around the prohibition. But then he's going to be uh, with the, the, the religious issues, right, and, and Bill 21. Um, so he, it'll be a, uh, an interesting um, issue as it comes forward. Uh, I, it seems Pierre has the upper hand just by the crowds he's bringing out, but it's not enough to actually lead in terms of nation building. I don't see Pierre being the nation builder. Let's go to Ron in Guelph. Ron, you would like to comment on the conservative race. Thanks for taking my call. One quick uh, comment on the guns issue. Um, that guns issue is only going to appeal to voters in the 416 and 905 area. It won't appeal to people in northern Ontario or out in the country. Okay. Okay. Uh, and and on... Pierre Polivare, yeah. Um, he might be able to get elected, and this has come out before, and a lot of other people have commented, he might be able to get elected to be uh, leader of the Conservatives, but there isn't a chance in hell that he's ever going to get elected as prime minister of this country, except in Western Canada. Okay, and uh, you know what? Let me put that uh, back to our panelists. Uh, Thinking about the last time we had a leadership race, Peter McKay was criticized for focusing too much on becoming prime minister and not on conservative, on the conservative leadership at that time against Aaron O'Toole. Karen, is that, um, how should John Charest be playing this? Because he has been talking about the ultimate leadership and being prime minister. Is he getting ahead of himself? No, I, no. I think he's. I think he's playing the, the, his card correctly. Okay. Um, because he's. He doesn't. He's not. He's in a different position than uh, Pierre Polyevre. He's not. A, he's not a sitting MP, and so he doesn't have necessarily the same uh, maybe caucus support. He's playing a different game, and he's. I think he's playing the right game to win. Uh, he's. He's playing the only strategy that he has. Um, but. I, what, but the other part I just find so remarkable about Pierre Polyevre is that you know. Even speaking with my friends, they they think he's from Western Canada, and he's from Ottawa area. Right, right. Like he's he's taking a very controversial stand about the truckers, 
and their behavior in his own backyard. And I find that really quite remarkable. So I don't know, you know, you sort of say, would he have the support of the West? Would he have the support of his own riding um, for the position that he's taking? I, I assume he must, but it, it is, for me, quite remarkable, given that um, people perceive him to be something that, you know, perceive him to be someone from out West when, in fact, he's from Ontario. John, how about you? Uh, on on forward thinking towards being prime minister before becoming conservative leader. Well, yeah, no, I think that's always going to be an issue. But I do. It works for Pierre because he's a sitting MP and he's been around Parliament for a long time. And and for for Josh Ray, his whole purpose and his whole campaign is about winability. Which, of course, out of all of them, he's the only one that's actually held a leadership position as Premier of Quebec. So I think from that perspective, it works for him and it puts him apart from the other two. Uh, and in some ways, but I would just caution though, people will always say about a leader, you know, well, you can get elected as leader of the party, but not as prime minister. They said the same thing about Stephen Harper and they said the same thing about Mike Harris. Both of them, both of them became very successful, uh, uh, leaders in their own right. Okay. I take your point on that. Uh, and Charles, final word to you. Yeah. I think the, the caller was bang on, but the issue around the prime ministerial position. I think Jean Charnetere is 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 acting accordingly, and I and I agree with Karen that he that's his only way to proceed. And uh, Pierre uh, has the upper hand, and he's appealing uh, to our most angry out there right now. And I get it. Will he then tail into the middle as all the other conservatives have done, and then get whacked for doing so? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but uh, I think that's his only alternative. For him to win, he has to do what he's doing as well. And he's obviously getting a lot of attention, unfortunately, because, man, I hope that's not who we are as Canadians, right? I hope we see beyond the the anger and that we see that there's more to us uh, than just that. We will leave it there. Thank you all once again for your time. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Karen Stint, CEO of Variety Village, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, and John Capobianco, Conservative Strategist, Senior Vice President, and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. It's Jane for Libby, and make sure you're listening next week when Libby will be announcing some exciting changes to fight back. As for the second half of today's show coming up next, if you're com- confused about when and how you should be renewing your license plate. Now that you no longer have to pay for an annual sticker, we will try to end that confusion next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is away on vacation. She's planning to be back for free for all Friday. Well, earlier this year, the governing Ford PC scrapped Lysikermic. In fact, you've likely received your rebate in the mail. And the math on how much you should get back, at least in southern Ontario, is basically $10 a month since March of 2020. So I'll use myself as an example. My birthday is in July, so I was reimbursed $120 for March of 2020 to March of 21, then another $120 from March of 21 to March of 22. So that's $240. And then four more months at $10 a month for a total of $280. Does that make sense? Is that the way it worked out for you when you got your rebate? And by the way, are you 
in favor of this rebate? Does it make you feel more likely to reelect Doug Ford? Or would you rather that billion dollars a year, billion dollars a year go somewhere else? 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Now you still need to renew your license plate, but there is no fee and no sticker. To help us through this process, we're joined by Elliot Silverstein, Director of Government Relations at CAA Insurance. Hi, Elliot. Hi, good afternoon. Anything you want to add to what I've said so far? I think, you know, there's a lot of different questions about how much people are getting. I think people are seeing different amounts, but I think the most important thing right now is is really reinforcing to people that even if you're not paying, you still have to make sure you renew and renew by the deadlines. Okay, so renewing by the deadline is always your birthday, right? Correct. So, but we won't be getting any reminders, that's my understanding. Yeah, I believe you can now set up for different types of alerts uh, through the government, and you can still renew for, for one or two years. But it's really important because, um, again, you know, the, the impact of not renewing can have other effects because, again, when you renew, you need to provide your, your plate information, your vehicle info, your odometers, um, also your, your, your proof of insurance. And, and, and again, it goes both ways because if you're not uh, compliant, you, you could be charged uh, a penalty for not renewing. But it's also important to make sure that we have uh, vehicles that, that, have, that have proper insurance as well. So all these license plates that are out there on the back of vehicles currently have the little sticker in the corner. And like mine says July 22. Um, should we be removing those from the license plates? Does it matter? Do, do police run your license plate through some sort of system and they see whether you've renewed or not? How is all of that going to work? Well, the government, when they announced the changes uh, a couple of months ago, they had mentioned they were moving towards automated license plate recognition technology. And, that, and that's really going to allow uh, law enforcement to, to really uh, have the tools to, to, um, to see what is valid and what is invalid. So, I mean, it, it, there's never been a direction about having to remove the stickers or keep them on. Um, but, but I think, you know, what, what is nice is that they, the law enforcement will have um, uh, greater access to, to recognition tools in order to um, to make sure that that people who are are not driving legally are are, are you know can be pulled over if, if necessary. Now, how does the license plate renewal now that there is no fee? How does that work in tandem with your auto insurance? So we always had to provide our auto insurance policy number in order to renew our license. Is that still how that will work? You're still going to need to provide the, the, the same information on the Ontario.ca website because you're going to have to provide all the, the details in terms of your odometers, um, your company name, your policy number um, in order to move things forward. So if you don't have proof of insurance, you're not going to be able to complete the transaction, even though there's no cost. Okay. And you can renew for two years at a time rather than just one, right? You, you have that option. You can do one or two years. Myself, I've always figured, you know, you know, take the two years because at least it's out of the way and, it, and it's one less thing to do each year. Right. Um, oh yeah. Why, why at this point where you don't have to pay anymore, why would you do just one year at a time? It, it's a great question. I think, you know, for some people, they may want to, to look at certain things or they may be, you know, you know, getting vehicles on certain terms. But, uh, uh, you know, for myself, you know, it, it's always great to, you know, even with the renewals, when there was a cost, pay the money and, and think about it again in two years' time. Right. Okay, let's go to the phones. Uh, there are some questions for Elliot Silverstein. We're talking about renewing our license plates, even though you no longer have to pay for the sticker. And in fact, there will no longer be stickers as well. But you do have to go online to Service Ontario uh, and renew your license plate 
<laughs> not your sticker, but your plate. And um, it's fairly straightforward. I tried to, I began the process the other day. You just Google Service Ontario and then follow the prompts. Make sure you have your insurance, your little green insurance form with you for the information that you need to put on there. Um, but any other questions you have about this or related to insurance, uh, Elliot's our guy with the CAA and the numbers to call are 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Brian in Caledon, go ahead. Oh, hello. Hi. Yes. Yep. I, I renewed my license plate, actually. My birthday was March 31st, so I didn't know the process, and then I forgot about it. So I went and renewed last weekend, renewed my plates, whatever. Didn't ask me for any insurance information at all for the two vehicles I have. Now, I have a cube van, which has got a commercial plate on it. That's my own personal cube van. I tried to renew it online knowing I had to pay. It won't let me. It says I have to go to a Service Ontario outlet. Okay, Elliot? So commercial vehicles still have certain costs involved with it. The changes that were made were for passenger vehicles. So there may be something as part of the changes where there may be a requirement to visit a Service Ontario location specific to, the, to this particular matter. But, it, you know, the changes in, ter- in terms of the no-cost license plate renewals are specifically for personal passenger vehicles. Oh, I realize that. But last year, like this vehicle, I have to renew every year. I can only get a sticker for one year. Last of it online along with my cars. Now it won't let me. Now there are numbers to there, It's probably best to reach out to Service Ontario specifically in, in case there's something specific to the matter. Because, again, the government has really moved to, to try and, and move as much of this uh, online as possible to limit uh, visits. Uh, you know, in, in, into the store, into the locations to do that. So uh, I would say best to call the number, call Service Ontario and inquire to see if there's a specific reason why. Okay, Brian, thank you for calling. And I want to clarify my own comments there. I was talking about going on to Service Ontario and I mentioned the green form. The That's the ownership slip. Uh, but you, which one do you need? Do you need the... Always best to be handy because you, you need to have your, your license plate number, your vehicle permit number, which is on your green slip, as well as your proof of insurance, which is your pay slip. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. Let's go to Bill in Cambridge. Bill, you're next. Go ahead. Hello. I'm calling about uh, a drive-on drive program that Neighborhood Mechanic says is coming back to re, to make you do the e-testing. And I wanted people to know that, that this is being brought back and you're going to have to pay to get your vehicle e-tested. This is the emissions test that um, has been done away with for a while now. That's right. right. It was canceled by by the government. Right. And people should know that it's coming back. Ration out who to vote for. Okay, Bill. Thank you for your call. Elliot, would you um, like to comment on that? Is that something you have information on? Well, I mean, the, the, the emissions testing was discontinued a number of years ago because the, the, uh, the Ministry of Transportation had found at the time that most were compliant and that it was more of a finite issue at that point. Um, there's always been talk about, about whether, you know, vehicle inspections, regular inspections should be part of this. Um, n- nothing has been announced that, that, I, that I've heard of thus far. Um, but, you know, really, I mean, you know, in terms of what the caller was saying, more than anything, you know, it, it underscores the fact that everybody, regardless of how old your car is, really need to keep your car in good working order because um, we want to make sure whether it be emissions or even just vehicle safety. It really is important that everybody takes time, uh, see a mechanic where needed to make sure that your car is in proper working order in all seasons. 
It is a hot topic. The phones are ringing 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. We're talking about the process now to renew your license plates now that there's no longer a fee associated. And also want to hear from you on uh, receiving your rebate and um, whether you think that that was a good idea for the government to give us that money back or should have used our money somewhere else. Again, 416 Zero seven forty or one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Gary in Etobicoke, go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio. Hi, thank you. Um, so I was uh, uh, renewed my sticker till November twenty three. November twenty twenty three. Right. So will I have to go this November again, or am I good for the two years? Oh, okay, Elliot. My understanding is that you are you are valid until the the original expiry date. So so mine as well as 2023. And my understanding is that I won't need to renew. Um, and that if you've already uh, filled the need to March of 20. So yes, that's what uh, yeah, that's one of the bigger um, rebates I've heard about. I mean, obviously everybody can use money, and and it's going to go back into the economy. But uh, I talked to a friend of mine who who doesn't drive. He takes the bus. He buys a you know a metro pass. He didn't get money back. No. You know, and and all that money that could have gone towards roads and transit, um, you know, I, you know, the, the cynical part of me says that's, uh, you know, chapter three of the playbook, wave, wave the carrot, eh? Right. Oh, and, and I'm wondering if you feel like Gary, and thank you for phoning in, um, do you feel like it was a little bit of bo- vote buying? I mean, certainly we are all more substantive than that to be bought with a bigger chart. Let's go to Pat in Toronto. Pat, go ahead. Hi. I just find it so difficult that everybody looking right past the issue that all of the COVID, and by relaxing the rules, as Doug Ford did, is costing all of us many, many millions of dollars. Every person in the hospital is probably costing us 10000 to $20,000 for their, even if their four-day stay runs into those sort of numbers. So everybody seems to think that the money drops out of the sky, and it doesn't. And, and that's why we should be imposing all these things. And yes, I got back 610 or $620, and I thought, am, does he think I am that dumb that I'm going to vote for him by getting that money? I'm going to go exactly the opposite way. I'm going to vote for the Green Party. Because okay. in, in 50 years, and I won't be here in 50 years, we won't have a country. We won't have a planet. So. Yeah, a lot of people feel that way, including most scientists. Pat, thanks for calling. Let's go to Ted in Pickering. Ted, yeah, go, so I think go the ahead. question is for Elliot. Um, Back at the start of the pandemic, I remember a gentleman who went across borders into Quebec and he received a ticket for having an expired license plate because he cut, the sticker was still on, but before government said you didn't have to renew them. My question is, if I drive down into the States, should I be taking that expiry date sticker off my plate before I go down there? Or am I possibly going to face a ticket from an out-of-country out of police force for having an expired plate? Elliot? I have not heard anything specifically in terms of that. I think what's most important when it, when it comes to necessary paperwork in order. So if you have your, your valid uh, uh, driver's license, your valid, your valid pair. Um, again, you know, law enforcement agencies do have the ability to look things up, you know, in, in all jurisdictions. Um, you know, again, it, 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 there's been no direction specifically from 
the province on what to do, whether to remove it or not. But but my recommendation would be to make sure you have all your paperwork in hand and in order before you embark. Because if you ever run into a situation, you want to be able to resolve it relatively quickly and easily. Okay, Ted? In the situation I'm referring to, though, the gentleman had parked his car, and when he came back, there was a ticket on his windscreen. And, and, you know, again, specifically, I mean, I, I'm not familiar with the, the, the situation itself, but I, I think it's important, again, and, and the rules have now changed, obviously, with, with the fact that a sticker is not required. There was a bit of a period of time during the pandemic where there were some questions about, you know, renewing your license, and there was a, a bit of a freeze on that time frame. I think going forward, it's important that, you know, we do get that clarity, and to your point, understanding what it means when you go into different jurisdictions. Okay. We have time for one more call before we change topics. Judy in Oakville, go ahead. Hi. Um, yes, I was just wondering about seniors and their license renewals. Um, will they continue to be notified uh, like we used to, you know, through the mail? I don't think so, eh, Elliot? I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I believe they've moved more towards an automated process. I mean, there may be some ways to opt in in some ways, um, but you'd have to check with Service Ontario specifically to get that information. I know they've moved towards more to email addresses where they've accumulated those. Okay, Judy. Thank you for calling in. And just one more question of you, Elliot. If people have not received their rebate for their license sticker fees that they've paid back to March of 2020, is there something they should be doing to ensure they do get that check? I think they're still being released right now. I'll, I'll admit I got mine last Thursday. So, yeah. so it, it, they're still, they're still being rolled out. I, I would say give it a little bit more time. I know they said that it was happening in March and into April. And, and if, if you haven't received it probably towards the end of the month, it may be worth a, an inquiry into the Service Ontario hotline to see uh, where things stand. Okay. Very good. Thank you for the conversation and for clarifying some stuff for us. Thank you. Elliot Silverstein is Director of Government Relations at CAA Insurance. It's Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And still to come, Ontario residents have had the ability since late last year to register a business online. But according to one business founder, the program is fraught with problems. We will explore this story next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns on Friday. Well, late last year, the province launched a new online business registry, which seemed like a sensible step towards modernization. But is the system user-friendly or does it even work? Mark Goldgrub is founder of Green Economy Law Professional Corporation and wrote an article on Blog TO about his more than challenging experience. He joins us to share his story. Mark, hi. Hello. So there was no online business registry in Ontario until 2021? There wasn't an official government online business registry, you could uh, incorporate online and even file a number of things through third-party private service providers, but the provincial system was basically paper-based. Okay, and this is for any kind of business in the province? Um, or that you know of? I mean, technically, how, how do you put it? Every It's mainly for corporations. I mean, you can do filings for like a, a master business license as a sole proprietor, 
or even operate as a partnership, but it's largely for corporations. So so prior to this change last year, was the process, uh, you said it was paper-based, but did it make sense? Was it uh, easy to go through? It wasn't, it did, <laughs> neither. Uh, it didn't really make sense. It wasn't really easy to go through, but it did work. Like, you could definitely figure it out. Uh, it wasn't that difficult. Like, for example, something I write about in the article is filing an initial return. When you incorporate uh, a corporation in Ontario, you're supposed to file an initial return within the next 60 days. Basically, uh, this was described to me as someone at the actual Service Ontario offices checking to see if someone's home. Frankly, I don't really think it's necessary. If you incorporate federally, they kind of just say, are you changing anything? No? All right, we'll handle the initial return. But the initial return is something you're supposed to file saying, this is where the uh, corporation is based. This is who uh, runs it. And... Uh, in the prior system, what you do is actually uh, take a piece of paper, even if you incorporate it online, let's say you incorporate it through an electronic service provider, you would then, the easiest thing to do is take a piece of paper to the ministry office, put it in a box, and say, here's my initial return. Obviously, in the 2020s, this was not the greatest way to do things, but it was it worked. It was a, You knew what to do. You go okay. to the office, put it in the box, and the store it. Now, it's not always that simple. Your story on Blog TV, TO, one of our Zoomer Media properties now, um, it's quite detailed on all that you went through, all of the challenges. Oh, imagine what I left out. Yeah. So uh, could you make a radio-savvy story out of your experience? <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you one story which okay. I recently resolved, which I think will illustrate some of the issues here. Basically, I have a client uh, a corporation that was incorporated at the federal level. In Canada, unlike in the U.S., you can incorporate either provincially or federally. Federal system, as I read in the article, is very good. They incorporated federally and great. Easy stuff. When you change something, if your company is actually based in Ontario, even if you're incorporated federally, if you change something, you have to tell Ontario. So this client changed their name. They changed their corporate name. So I had to tell Ontario. I had to file a notice of change saying, hey, Ontario, we're operating in Ontario. Just wanted to let you know that this corporation has recently changed their name. I, Because the way the system works, it's not easily set up for lawyers. It's not set up. If you are a lawyer and you file things for 20 businesses, uh, this system is not built for you. So what they tell you to do is just email us. Just email whatever you need us to do. Just send us a form. So I sent them a form a month ago. I said, here's the form. They said, no, this is the wrong form. I said, okay. So I found a new form, sent them the new form. And here's a new form. And then they mailed my client and said, we can't find the corporation. We can't find this corporation. We don't have this name in our system. It's like, first of all, the reason you don't have the name is because we changed the name. We're telling you that we changed the name. We attach the articles uh, of amendment, which show you this is the old name, this is the new name. You have the company key, you have the Ontario Corporation number. You have everything you need to find this corporation. This is not like a mystery that you have to go looking under uh, tables and chairs to find out what corporation is involved here. But for some reason, that was beyond their capability, so they mailed my client this. I don't know why they mailed my client this. I was listed as the contact person on the form. I emailed them the form. Why didn't they email me saying we can't find a name? I don't know what, what was going on here. So I email them, hey, what's going on here? No response. Call them, what's going on here? We'll call somebody else and they'll call you. Nobody calls me back. 
So I basically emailed them the other day and I said, look, you don't send me uh, an email back like Friday at 5 p.m. saying we accepted the form and it's filed or telling me exactly what you need. I'm going to submit a complaint to the ministry. I'm going to submit a complaint to the office of the premier. I'm going to submit a complaint to the auditor general, tell the media and contact my MPP because this, I can't spend a month on a notice of change to tell the government we changed the name. I can't go to the client and say, yeah, here's a bill for 10 hours to change, uh, to, not even to change the name, to tell the Ontario government we changed the name. Right. It's not a workable system for Ontario lawyers. That's quite a we story. Got, we got the name change. Yes, you, you did get the name change? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So you are helping, uh, you're helping companies become uh, registered online as corporations in, in Canada. I, I, that's or in among Ontario. the things that I do. In Ontario. That is among the things you do. It sounds like, I mean, if somebody is actually forming a corporation, they need somebody with some expertise to do this. It does not sound like something that an individual would be doing, for instance. I wouldn't actually say that. Uh, the system, the new system is really actually set up for the individual. It's set up, you know, to their credit, I'll give them a little credit here. It is set up that if you are a person, you're supposed to be able to go online and say, I want to incorporate and just kind of click on a couple things and file. The problem is the system wasn't set up for everybody else. It wasn't set up if you run multiple corporations. It wasn't set up for if you're a lawyer filing things on behalf of other people. It was really set up for the one person who wants to go online and incorporate without a lawyer. And if anything, it seems like almost the system was done in like spite of lawyers rather than uh, for, you know, taking them into consideration along with individuals. So what would be your best advice uh, to somebody who is trying to incorporate in Ontario with this new system? I mean, it depends. <laughs> this is the lawyer answer. It depends. Are you just a person trying to incorporate a simple corporation? You might be able to do it yourself uh, if you're doing things a little bit more better maybe a little more complicated, involve other people. Yeah, it might make sense for you to bring on board a lawyer to help you out with these things. Managing the system as an individual is not that difficult. It could definitely be better, but it's not that difficult. Really, I find the system is incredibly difficult to uh, navigate as a lawyer when you're filing for multiple people. That's what the system really was not set up for. Well, we appreciate your story. It's uh, There's a lot of stuff uh, happening out there. And, uh, you know, for people who have formed businesses and they formed in the in the previous way of doing things, is there anything they're supposed to be doing now that's just as a final question to you? Well, I would say make sure you have your company key. If you, you know, set up your corporation five years ago and you don't have your company key, go online and try and get your company key because let's say tomorrow you need to file your annual return, which is now supposed to be done online. Usually uh, accounts used to do it, but they changed it now. Now you're supposed to file an annual return every year. Uh, you can't file that on your own without a company key. Okay. So if you set up your corporation five years ago, and you don't have your company key, go online and try and get your company key. And if they're not sending you a company key for some right reason, you got to figure out what's going on there because now you can't interact with the system at all without a company key unless you want to go through an electronic service provider that's going to charge you like 150 bucks to do anything, which is unreasonable. Okay. Well, I guess, you know, if anybody has any further questions about this, they could reach out to you uh, separately from our program. Mark, thank you so much for your time and your story. All right. Thank you. Bye. 
Mark Gold Grubb is founder of Green Economy Law Professional Corporation. Jane, for Libby, and you will definitely want to join us tomorrow off the top of the show, Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, who is trying to become the next Premier of Ontario. We also have Dr. Uni, Dr. Peter Uni. He's a favorite here on Fight Back for the second half hour to answer your questions. In the meantime, have a great day. Bob Comsick has your news up next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.